right, chapter number eight, The Builder. Mike, what's the plan? Do we have one more podcast, or is this it? No, we still have three. All right, we're going to see if we can do more than one chapter then in the future to wrap it up. Okay. Well, we could do Priest and King together. Yeah, that's a good idea. My father is one of the three boys in his family, the middle son. His older brother is my Uncle Bruce. He and my father are approximately three years apart of age. They had a formed a fast bond by the time their third brother, my younger uncle, came along. And the stories of Bruce and my dad's childhood antics are legendary in the family. For example, my grandfather, not Harold, the farmer, but my dad's father, worked as the manager of a small storefront, J.C. Penney, in western Kansas during my father's childhood back when J.C. Penney still maintained storefronts in small towns. This was the early 1960s. He put in long hours at the store, and if there was one thing he valued at home above all, it was rest, sleep. Unfortunately for him, Bruce and my dad shared a room directly above my parents' room. The house which they rented very, was very modest, and the boys' room was too small for two beds, so my, Bruce and my father also shared a bed until they outgrew that arrangement, and one of them moved to a mattress in the basement. So I read that to say, you know, you, you just get this sense of what life used to be like in America. And for that alone, the book has some value in reading. Just, just, to, kind of, just to remind you that things used to be different. And, um, and um, it's not all bad. You hear so much about the past that's bad. It, it, it wasn't all bad, that's for sure. And even, and even that story in and of itself, the fact that two brothers had to share a bed when they were small. It's not bad. No. Like, our, our perspective today is that it is bad. But it's not. Yeah, they did just fine. They right. did just fine. Everybody doesn't have to have their own bedroom. You don't have to have 4,000 square feet of home. Now, as any parent of small boys knows, put two of them together in a room, and what you do not get Ooh. much of is quiet. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be peace. I'll be quiet. <laughs> my dad and my uncle were no different. Their nighttime laughter and horseplay frequently woke my grandfather up in the room below. Of those occasions, Grandpa would reach for a yardstick he kept by his night table and bang the ceiling with it, warning the boys to quiet down. If that did not produce the desired silence, Grandpa took the yardstick up the stairs and converted it to a switch, swatting the boys' backsides. But without much light and his general state of nocturnal confusion, Grandpa often had difficulty seeing just whose backside he was swatting. Bruce took advantage of these circumstances by pulling my father on top of him, so the story goes, crying out as if he were being spanked, all the while Grandpa was in fact spanking my father. Similar stories of pranks and tomfoolery are legend. Did you guys enjoy this chapter? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. It's a, it's 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 a book worth reading just from you can enjoy it. It's yeah, once you if you can set aside the theological inconsistencies in the first chapter, after that it's it's a good book on manhood in 2024. But I do have to admit, you know, with having um, you know Kinsey's three boys, I still have to process through things like that a little bit because being an only child. I never really experienced that. Mm. And so I have to work through, you know, letting boys be boys and not like clamping down on them. And, uh, and that's not always easy for me. Uh, my dad used to just make my brother and me go out in the backyard and fight it out. 
which was never fair because he's four years older than me. So I always lost, but I at least got to try. <laughs> yeah, my dad was not very patient with that kind of tomfoolery, not at all. I, even when we were mar- when we were first married, my brother we'd gone home for Christmas, and my brother and I were up late, and they'd gone to bed. I was doing a handstand on the walker that my sister had because she got hit by a car. This walker's in the corner, you know. So I was doing a handstand, and the walker folded up, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. And my dad run downstairs, do, 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 you know. And I got, like, two kids and whatever. He's like, boys. <laughs> You're married at yes. this time? Yes. Holy smokes. <laughs> That's great. Did he make you go to switch, too? No. Okay. no. no. He's a, yeah. I, I, I failed to grasp the idea that you you were an only child. Yeah. I well, I think it also has to you know, in, at least within my family, uh, my wife is one of two kids, but both girls, and really rather mild temper. So the concept of watching my two boys duke it out sometimes, she wants to stop it like intervention the moment the first you know unkind hand movement is made. And I'm used, I'm the complete opposite. I'm like, I want to let them get a couple in because <laughs> then, but I do. Then I don't have to spank either of them because you both just got whooped. <laughs> but I do see how that is is part of you know boys growing up, um, and so it's critical. Yeah, it needs to be there, uh, and I just missed out on that. Don't yeah, worry, Mike. If you want to wrestle, I'll wrestle with you. Yeah, I was going to say, we go outside. Yeah. Steve will go out in the yard with you. <laughs> I'm too old for that tomfoolery there. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. more like Brother Ken at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, growing up, our kids, we didn't do a lot of wrestling with the boys, but, you know, they, they do with their boys now. I mean, and sometimes, you know, Sean will just, like, flat-out punch him. And I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> you know? But they'll bring it back, you know? Yep. <laughs> um... I bet your grandsons can really go at it. Oh, they do. Especially the, the two oldest ones. Yeah, Asher and Ace. Yeah, they will. Yeah. Yep. All right, is there anything worth sharing in the podcast other than a bunch of tomfoolery? <laughs> As each and every other chapter, he does very good at showing how modern culture is poo-pooing and pushing down the idea that men need to be hard workers in the blue collar work yeah you know he brought up his this one uncle that started the concrete business and you know how it's not valued in society and yet so many of these blue collar <coughs> um, jobs are very critical to our society I, mean, I remember when we were building the new building, our newer building, you know, Pastor, you were talking to the brick masons, and they're all yep. in, what, in their 60s and 70s, and you're like, where are the young guys? And they're like, no, I don't want to do this work. It's too hard for them. They had that whole metal structure, scaffolding, right? Scaff- uh-huh. And then they had those 2x8s and 2x12s on there that they were working, and I'd just go out there and banter with them, and there was no one younger than 50. Mm-hmm. No one. And it was just like, who's going to lay bricks in the next generation? And if you're a brick mason and good, you're going to be able to charge whatever you want um, because of your skill set. Well, I think that, to an extent, comes into um, another issue in our culture that, Pastor, I know we've talked about it um, with lawn care stuff and immigration and whether it's documented or undocumented immigrants in the workforce. Uh, Because I remember when I would, you know, cut some grass with you, 
uh, because I'm tall, standing on one of those stand-on mowers, it's like, why did they put this pad down here at my shins? I don't need it at my shins. Like, yeah. I want it up here at my thighs. Right. And But we had had the conversation that the most lawn care workers are, not tall are of a Hispanic descent, and they are, shorter. are naturally shorter. And they've made that adjustment as a manufacturer. And, and the, same, the same, I think, is true when it comes to, you know, bricklaying when it comes to any of these trades and then you know just thinking about how that plays into what we're dealing with now with immigration in our culture i could see from a liberal mindset well if we're pushing everyone into um the administration um or what was the um acrostic or the acronym that they used was a heel it was like health, education, yeah, mm -hmm. health, education, administration, and literacy. That if we're pushing our people towards white collar jobs, we need people in our nation who are then willing to do the blue collar jobs. Therefore, we shouldn't tell them they can't come in. Yeah, or we should start telling our teenagers they need to get off the couch and get off the computer and get out there and start doing it again. Right. Well, that's what, um, on page 131, he has two um, antidotes that I thought were excellent. One is, the antidote to dependence is building, and the antidote to passivity is work. So if you ever feel like you don't matter, you should probably start doing some work. It's at the bottom of page 131. Yeah, yeah and I think some yeah, of these... just get at it. You'll feel better about yourself, and others will too. I think, that, interesting, he uses David a lot in this chapter as a as the builder of the city of David. Um, and, you know, I typically kind of thought of, of David as a warrior, um, primarily, and the fact that he was told he couldn't build the temple. Um, I never really thought about the fact that there were other things besides the temple that were being structured and built um, at that time. And, you know, there's probably some little issues with some of his um, reach there with the analogy of the Eden and all that stuff but um, it was just interesting to me to think about you know because he has something here that says give more than you take you know the 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 measure of a manhood is when you start becoming productive instead of taking mm -hmm. um, and you know I mean I like history probably not as much as Jack but um, I like watch the documentaries and when you think about cities who that we find that have been there for a long time and the fact that someone labored to build those cities. It was just kind of interesting to think about, you know, is there going to be something here that I labored on that's going to be gone hundreds of years after I'm gone? Well, if you work with stone, there's a good chance it might stick right. around. Someone may rewrite your programming, though. <laughs> exactly. Focus on that. Exactly. But you know, the senior class was having this conversation this morning. Uh, all on their own. They, it was a time in which we were done and they were didn't going to work on what they have to work on so it's the time that they work together and we let them we let them talk quietly and work and chit chat and they got to joking around with each other the boys are in the back and they they do what boys do uh they start needling each other a little bit about their future and their careers and what they're going to be and and they start picking on each other and they were picking on a christian and they were picking on him and and he said, he said, I'm going to go to trade school and everything else. And Well, somebody said, you already got a trade, naturally, because he's Hispanic and stuff and, and everything else. And he goes, don't make fun of me because I'll hang your sheetrock wrong because <laughs> 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 none of you know how to do it. 
and and you know it was just they 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 were having fun with it, but but there's a lot of truth in what they were saying. You know, one of them one of them wants to be a mechanic, and uh, you know, and he comes from a family of mechanics, and then you got the and Christian does want to actually do construction, uh, that type of thing. But most of them were looking for the the doctor, the lawyer, sports medicine type stuff. I don't even hear people talking about doctor lawyer anymore, Jack. It seems like it's, you know, influencer, YouTube influencer, it's sports, sports, sports. Yeah. Yeah. Well this group is more level headed. Yeah. But I don't think that we measure a man by their productivity anymore. Mm-hmm. Well why would we? we don't we don't have a visible sign of that. We're not building railroads, we're not building roads. We're not building ships. We're not building cars. We're not building, I mean, houses, yeah, but that's really a slowed down thing now. We're, we're, not, a, we're not a country that has a lot of, Builders. Uh, yeah, but the idea of industry. It's a, it's a service tech entertainment country. And which means that we're on the verge of imploding. Since I watched the Super Bowl on my iPad, then I was getting all kinds of junk about the Super Bowl. Mahomes' contract is five hundred million a year. Mm-hmm. A year? No, no, ten years. Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Fifty million a year. Yeah. Fifty million. A year. Oh, that's much. That yeah, makes it better. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. Fifty million a year. Yeah, when I hear that stuff, I think you know we we get what we deserve <laughs> to a certain extent. As a so society. that means that he's getting paid a million dollars every week, basically. Yes, and that's just yeah. from his football contract. Yeah, not any licensing, not State any farm. royalties, yeah. not any commercial deals. He's the Mahomes and Auto. Yeah. Yeah, so he's. I mean, he alone is doing State Farm commercials. Yeah. I've seen him in Head and Shoulders commercials. So any of that stuff, he's... he's What's that? Name, image, and what? Likeness. Yeah. Yeah. Likeness. NIL. NIL. Name, image, likeness. Mm -hmm. See, I was going to open one of those companies. (laughs) Wow. Be a sports representer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I had a freshman in in the class, we won't say his name, but he told me he was going to be a professional soccer player. You know? Mm -hmm. I was like, no, you're not. Okay, let's... Let's go ahead and work on something realistic. That's not going to happen. We just gotten out of hand to the point that I actually put on our new application for this coming school year. How important is sports to you and your and you and your student? And I had, you know, it's fun. It has its place. Uh, Play hard, study harder. Uh, We're obsessed. It's 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 the path to college future pro athlete. Yeah. I mean, because I really want the mindset of where, where the family's at. Right. Um, because we have so many of them that have that pro athlete mindset that they will sacrifice attendance and they will sacrifice studies to be in tournaments and everything else, not even realizing that that hurts the GPA which is on a sliding scale with the uh, SATs and the ACTs. Uh, so the higher your GPA is, the lower you can score on your SAT to get in college. 
but the lower your GPA, the higher you have to make on your SAT. So either way, you're going to have to prove yourself one way or another. So um, they, they need to be studying. Because um, the colleges aren't going to let a... The lower the GPA, the higher the requirement's going to be for, for... For the SAT to get in. And it's not just, you know, our teenagers, because probably seven years ago now, I was talking with a teacher and a coach in middle school. And their goal was to be a coach in college, but like Division One coaching college. <clears throat> and they were barely a coach in middle school. Mm -hmm. And I'm like trying to give them, you know, well then you're gonna have to like do summer camps uh, for free. Uh, you're gonna have to get your foot in the door. And you know, I'm just trying to give them these options if you, if you really wanted to get there. Um, because he wasn't even being realistic and he was almost 30. Mm. But there isn't even an effort to create realism. Because the same student said, well, then if I can't be that, I'm going to be an aeronautical engineer. Right. I said, well, you must just be, math must be, I mean, you, you, you must be just, well, I'm a decent student. I said, wait a minute, you're not going to be an aeronautical engineer if you're not an amazing math student. I said, let me tell you what you need to do. I said, in your junior and senior year, you need to be at the point where you're taking math classes at FTCC, not here anymore. And you need to be taking all the math available to you there if your hope is to become an aeronautical engineer. Statistics, I mean, trigonometry, I mean, advanced calculus. Right, they're just throwing out stuff, you know, and there doesn't seem to be... Well, the reality is, I mean, I, well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems that the majority of professional athletes that you actually hear about have are very intelligent as well. Most of them. Right, the, uh, most, most the majority. But you know, I'm just you know you you read about or hear about you know their GPAs in college and what their degrees are in. You're just going, wow, like they're not. It's not like they're stupid and they're just out there playing football or you know, like you know when they quit football, they actually have something they can go back and do <laughs> and make a, a livelihood on if they needed to at that point. Yeah, and I think, I mean, and Holly touches on it, but it's it's this picture that our culture has painted. And we're, I don't think it's fair to point the, the finger at one particular political leaning because it's been allowed to happen regardless, is that the aeronautical engineer is what's going to make you money. We're not painting a picture that you can make $30, $40 an hour as a master brick mason, that you could go over to Pinehurst to Southern Pines, to an elite golf course community and charge whatever you wanted because of the work that you create. Like, we haven't sold them that. Which, and I don't know whether it's a master plan or whether it's just a, a byproduct of, is that the decrease of trades in schools, period? You know, that we're not giving them equal time with hand saws and with working with, the, with auto shop as we are with book, book time. Because we've placed a primary emphasis on book learning, which is necessary. I can't tell you how many times as an adult where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember studying this in school. Even as a parent, like there's a lot of pointless stuff I learned in school that has come in handy. Most just because I got kids in school now and they want to know something. 
And so we've, we've pushed this emphasis on book learning and not on these other things where it's like, well, yeah, if you spent 12 years of your life where you've been told books, 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 study, 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 and now all of a sudden it's, hey, go outside and we have to go work with this. Unless you've been working in something like that your whole life outside of school, you're less likely to be inclined to want to go do that. It was a, a few years back now, um, and Brian, I think you're more into the, the Marvel movies than I am. I'm not a super fan. I just go whenever I have to. But there was one that came out a while ago. It's been probably I'm maybe eight or ten years now. But it was the one where they first started on the screen, started doing like where they would shape reality to where like if you're walking on the sky, now you're walking on the ceiling. And it was the one where they're spinning the wheels and walking through mm -hmm. them. Um, and it had the, uh, I think, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange right. is the one you could do. Yeah, and I was just sitting there in the, in the theater and I was thinking, you know, we've got a watershed moment going on now because kids believe this is like real stuff. And, and so <laughs> I'm going to connect this to building because... You know, I wanted to clear my property, so I wanted, you know, I asked the Dr. Wilson, you know, what's the best way to do this? What's the most efficient way? And before I talked to him, I, you know, went to Google, Googled it, and the first, uh, on YouTube, the first five things were that clearing land. Guess what it was? Minecraft. How to clear land in Minecraft. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? And 45 minutes later, you knew how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we live in such a, like, this, this... It was in the video game, John? As in the video game. When I typed into YouTube, how to clear land, the most efficient way to clear land, the first five, six videos that came up, you know, because they have algorithms, like the most popular ones, were how to clear land in Minecraft. You know, I was looking for, no, I want to, like, actually clear... Based on your research <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to clear some actual land, you know, and I had to go, like, six or seven deep. Find somebody that was actually driving a, a bulldozer and knocking over trees. But Brian, to your point, I think I think you're right. There's there's been an erosion of those type of jobs, and I'll give you an example. You know, I did a, in my freshman year. They had us do uh, each quarter. We had to do a different vocational thing, and I forget what they all were. But one of them was shop, and I got exposed to electrical circuitry. And that really fascinated me. And of course, I'd already been taking things apart my whole life and putting them back together to take them apart, see how they. How many spare parts did you have? You know, like I took I uh, took apart an entire stereo system and put it back together, trying to get it back together before my parents got home. Um, you know, those kind of things at a young age. And so I wanted to be an electrical engineer, but I couldn't go to schools. I didn't have the money, so I joined the military. And my first job in the military was an air traffic control radar tech. So for my first four years, I fixed air traffic control radars. And we would do all the stuff on them and everything else. And you got used to getting shocked and everything else and working with it. But uh, then, then I was a reservist. So um, the economy started turning bad because after we graduated was the time that they put a freeze on the FAA hiring. So they were starting to release the freeze, and so we started trying to apply, and Lockheed Martin was taking forever to get back in. We were applying for that. Angela's pregnant. Uh, Brianna was finally born. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something because my part-time job's not getting it done. Or actually, it was a full-time job, but they were cutting the hours back to part-time. So I went to buy a recruiter, and I said, hey, can I go on active duty? And they said, yeah, 11X. 
you know, we'll pick. You're going to be infantry, and we'll pick which type. And I was like, that sounds good to me. And they're like, but you got to make the decision by 6 o'clock tonight. And it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so I drove home, told Angela I'm joining the infantry, but I'm going to go back up and sign. Just want to let you know. And I went up and signed. Well, at least you said it first. Now, Jack, when was home. that? What year would have that been? That would have been uh, 1993. Okay. So I came back. I came on active duty in June of 93, and Angela called me. and we, we I didn't even make it to my basic training unit because there were so many of us coming back in that uh, – we, were, we got to talk to each other on the 4th of July weekend. And she goes, hey, Lockheed Martin called for an interview. I was like, nope, too late now. <laughs> uh, but I was going to be rewiring C-130s, which would have led to a job with uh, Fox Jet and stuff. But it happens. And I don't regret it because it led me here. Uh, so, but, but there was a complete erosion to that. And, and we've seen that just the whole shift in our country. And I think it has eroded manhood because now, because everything was, well, now you go get a job to work in an office. You go get a job to do this. You go get a job to do that. And it took away the opportunity to say, hey, at 18, you can go out and actually get a good paying job uh, to, of manual labor, and it will be sufficient to take care of your family. Yeah. Well, and we've also lost the idea of the um, the creative aspect. And, and Holly talks about his um, family's concrete business and how that he can see the art in it with some of that. Um, and you guys know as well as I do, like it doesn't matter whether you're cutting overgrown grass or building something from the ground up or even playing with Legos. Like there is something special that God has ingrained in us that when your hands get to work. And then you step back and you can do the before and after picture, whether mentally or physically, that you get this sense of accomplishment. Absolutely. Which is what this entire chapter, I think he's focusing on, is we've walked away from the desire to have the before and after. And then we wonder why, you know, desk-type jobs, white-collar jobs, are not fulfilling. Because how difficult is it to find the before and after in a desk job? Depends if you change all the logos and stuff where oh, yeah, you're there at. You go. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right, but then, but then again, I think that we, it, it's it's a downward spiral because then it's like, okay, you want to go into app development. Well, how long does it take to go? You know, sure, there you created an app, but you're only how how long is it going to take for you to get the reward for that cost benefit analysis? As opposed to you spend an afternoon clearing land, you spend a couple days setting forms and pouring concrete. You know, like I think that's, I think that's detrimental to some of what we see as in our society. Is how long does it take you to see the reward? Will mitigate how much you actually want to spend doing that. Like, man, that was six months of my life down the drain before I saw any payback on it or felt the the satisfaction in my work as opposed to something that's more of of a, of a quicker return because we were built to work with our hands. I remember we went to the field trip at the Children's Museum in Raleigh, right? How many of y'all been up there? Marbles? Marbles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty cool place. You haven't been there, Mike? I don't know yet. Next time the grandkids come. Yeah, you should definitely take your boys there. It's a very good museum. Start saving now. Have you been there, John? Nope. (laughs) You haven't been, Jack? No. We took the girls. Well, you should go on a field trip. I mean, it's worth going to. Yeah, it's I was really nice. Well. There is an IMAX. There's an IMAX next. Yep. Connected to it or whatever. And if you... 
Well, I bid went to the IMAX. To, but if you went to the IMAX, you could get discounted tickets for the museum, and every now we'd take the girls. Well, up I've been to, I've been to natural science and history, but I haven't been yeah, to the more. Yeah, Marvel. Well, it's, it's real hands on. Yes. Yeah. Well, they have these big Lego bo- blocks. Giant, right? giant Legos. Right. So, right. So I started building, and then all the kids started building. Okay, well, I, I missed the sign that no more than five feet. Oh, no, no more oh, five bricks tall. Yes, right. <laughs> so I had a structure that was bigger than this room. Is you know, like I was stretching up and then holding a kid to put the block up until the attendants came uh, up, yeah. and then I got the no, 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 you know. But the builder and me came out like these are cool, Brian. I oh, mean, yeah. they're really cool blocks. Oh yeah, and skiing too fast. <laughs> yeah, and we, you know, all the kids were loving it. They were going in and out. We had a ten out over your skis. Yeah, I mean, but that's but the whole point of that museum is building. Is building. It yeah. doesn't matter where you are. You can build the little the little cars oh, to yeah. race down. Yeah, you're just you can you can color your picture and see it put up on the screen where it moves. I mean, it's all designed to be very hands on, and it's our culture has made that a special thing, right? As, as opposed, opposed to, to normative, it's normal. Yeah, as opposed to normative. Well, gone are the uh, logs. Remember the old uh, yeah, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln, logs. Lincoln logs and stuff. Yeah, my wife threw them away. We have the little plastic ones that are magnetic. Oh yeah, magnetic tiles. Cool. Those, Those are yeah, very yeah. cool. You can build a, oh, yeah. do a yeah, lot. We have those triangles and the squares. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great like I, I non-video connects. Do you guys know what connects yeah. are? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had connects as a kid, and. Because I remember how much I enjoyed playing with them. I had mine from when I was a kid that my boys would play with. Well, then once they started getting interest, it was like, you know, you got to go deep diving on Amazon to, Amazon to find new kits of that. Um, but we have got them in, and my wife hates them because they end up all over the place. But, but it's about building. Right. And, and the, one, the one caveat we've kind of allowed, depending on if it's the weekend, is because it's when our kids get their tablet, is they will go and find a YouTube video of instruction so that they can build something specific that they want to. Um, so they're kind of in oh. the tech. They're navigating, a, you know, watching a YouTube video, of build, but they're building with their hands. And that's what, I mean, my oldest, that's his, his favorite toy to play with. And they're little plastic connector pieces. Yeah, so I got in trouble the other, the other day from Angela. Mm-hmm. We are recording. Uh, yeah, it's okay. She hasn't so we're sitting. I'm sitting on the steps playing with Vivian, and we're playing with dirt. Yeah. And just building piles and piles of dirt and trying to shape it up. Angela comes home and says, like, "Are you letting her dig in my planter and dig the dirt out?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I was like, "There's no flowers growing in it." And she was like, "I'm trying to save that potting soil. I can't believe you let her dig it out." And I was like. It was there, there and dirt. she's playing with it. You no, said, we, I'll buy you another bag. It's okay. Right. Hey, Valentine's three bucks. Months, get her a bag of dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brian, no. Put a, put a flower in it. I was going to say, put a rose in it. Did you read that chapter on husband? <laughs> you might want to reread it. <laughs> All right, well, Mike, what's the point of the builder chapter? The missing piece within the man life now is that we are not wanting to work. Yeah. And, and we need to, as men, understand that God created us with the desire to work and achieve. And we need to get back to that, taking pride in our work, um, being able to come alongside others and help them in their work. We've got to get back to that. Yeah. And I think, uh, for me, the 
the most astounding sentence in the entire book is the percentage of what the workforce was like a century yeah. ago versus now. Yeah, 10 million. Um, that if the same percentage were true, so how many men percentage-wise of the population a century ago versus now, there would be 10 million more people in American jobs right now. And I was just like, wow, that's... Think about the lack of development you have because you are missing out on 10 million laborers. Not, not you know, how much faster your food would be at the drive-thru at the restaurant, but just development in our country. Yeah, or you could ask the question, Brian, would we have the same debt load that we currently have as a nation yeah. if we had 10 million more people that were buying, paying taxes, building, going on vacation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, no one seems to grasp and even willing to talk about what is really important. I think he does a great job as a politician on bringing us to the pragmatic things that are important if America has any hope of being a nation in a leadership role ever again, what the things that are going to need to change. Well, and I think you know Jack alluded to that. When we historically look at nations, one of the elements was when the labor force got farmed out. They're just done. Yeah. And that's where we're headed in the United States. When when a when a foreign nation's money's more valuable than your own, Rome got to a point where they wouldn't take their own currency. Mm. They preferred an outside currency. Mm. Yeah. But they were still entertaining in the circus, as we were last night. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to get used to the yen? Is that what we're looking for? No, because it's not. It's not going to stand. That one will not stand because they're because they're they don't have the youth to mm -hmm. sustain. Japan doesn't have the youth to sustain. No, we're looking at England. The sterling pound has always been the most sustainable mm -hmm. currency because England has always controlled their nation properly. If if not them, it will be Germany because Germany has always had an education system that said, "Sorry." You have proven yourself to be a tradesman by your lack of diligence to study, and this person has shown themselves to be elite in studies. They're going on to university, and you're going to the trade school. Yeah. Or you're yes. going to be an athlete and go to the Olympics. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. They, they choose who gets to do what. And that's still true today. It's mm -hmm. still true today. Yeah. And, and, the, and they get good jobs. I mean, the guys go to work for BMW. They go to work for good paying companies. It brings balance to the workforce. And or they, it keeps it maintained. It maintains a good balance in their workforce and their country is well suited to be sustainable. And we've not chosen to do that. No, and Thomas Jefferson recommended it. Well, and our nation rejected it all those years ago. Actually, that's where, you know, you and I have had a conversation before growing up in the North. Vocational schools are much more popular. Yep. And, you know, we've said that for years that, you know, we really need more vocational schools that would allow, you know, not only men, but women, but to go into these trades early on uh, instead of getting forced into yeah. college classes that many don't need. Well, imagine eighth grade. The decision is being made when you finish eighth grade 
and your high school, you have two high schools. You guys are going to the vocational high school, and you guys are going to the university readiness high school. You guys are going to learn the algebra through trig. You guys are going to learn basic economics and how to calculate area and stuff like that, or metric conversions, because you're going to be doing that kind of stuff for your living. Yeah, yeah Lansing, Michigan, junior high, it wasn't two different schools, but it, it had the facilities to be a two different schools. We had shops, trade, like no tomorrow. I mean, the money that was in that city and in those public schools was unreal. And I mean, I'm talking about trade shop rooms as big as our NPR room. Mm. Just gigantic. Saws and every possible thing in the world, and auto and every, and that was in junior high. And But you're not surprised by that, because at that time, manufacturing just owned Michigan, mm -hmm. and the money that was there between General Motors, Ford, Chrysler, and all the other DuPont and all the other big companies up there, they were paying corporate taxes and they could fund everything. It's not present today anywhere. No, you can't find it. And if it was, there's so there's so many fears of lawsuits. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. That's what I was just thinking when you said that. that. Like, get hurt. like parents today, I don't I don't know if they'd want their kids in a shop class because no, no. they might cut their finger. Yeah, might lose their fingers. Yeah, we're worse, and yep, that's very true. Yeah, where do you learn how to weld? Where do you where do you learn these things in today's world? Yeah. Well, we've got this, some things to work on, and you as a dad can make a difference in the lives of your own son, your own children, your own daughter. Show them, give them to them. You know, um, I I let a kid yesterday hold the chainsaw. I was like, you you can't hurt yourself. I mean. He, he, <laughs> Carrying it, just is, there's an over level of caution. I mean, it's just like endless. You know, do you want them scared of tools or do you want them to be able to use them? You know, I mean, that's healthy respect. Sure, a healthy respect, <laughs> and there's no greater way to get a healthy respect than to lose a little something. You know? <laughs> Have a little that's, skin in the game, as yeah. it were. I, my only, my only Maybe concern was I was do. afraid you were going to get some bar oil down your arm when you were holding it up like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.